Parsha Shoftim contains the Torah's discussion of the appointment of a king. You will enter, when you enter the land that Hashem gives you, you'll inherit it, you'll, you'll, result, you'll live there. And you will say, You will say, I want to appoint a king over myself like all the nations. So the Torah says, yes, you shall appoint a king. Choose a king whom Hashem will choose. From among your brethren you shall appoint a king. You shall, you shall not, you're not able to appoint a foreigner. You have to appoint someone who is Jewish. Then the Torah discusses various special prohibitions. That apply to kings, he shouldn't amass too many horses, too many women, not too much gold and silver. He should write himself a Sefer Torah. And then the, the Torah explains, this is important, in order that he not become haughty, in order that he not stray from the mitzvah to the right or to the left. And if he does this, if he does this correctly, if he retains his humility and his, and, and his uh, faithfulness to the commandments, in order that he should have a lengthy tenure upon the throne, his kingdom, the, the, the monarchy is hereditary, as we discussed uh, a little while back. All positions are hereditary, maybe even the position of rabbi, we said. Certainly the monarchy is hereditary. This is the parsha of Melech. Now, the simple reading of this parsha is that Hashem is instructing us to appoint a king. It's a mitzvah. And as we'll see, there are indeed uh, some authorities, some of Chazal, some later authorities, who do understand the Pesukim like that. There is, however, another approach, because the, because the Torah is not unequivocal in its uh, support of the monarchy. In particular, in Sefer Shmuel, toward the end of Shmuel's life, it says that the people approached Shmuel. They said, you are old, and your sons are not worthy, they have not followed in your path. Therefore, please, we want to uh, please appoint a king over us to judge us as, like all the other nations. Shmuel was very upset. Shmuel was, was upset at this request that, that they said, he prayed to Hashem. Hashem was upset. Hashem reassured Shmuel, it's not, it's not personal, it's not you, it's me, he says. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And this is what they've done uh, throughout the, from the time they left Egypt. From, from when I took them out of Egypt until today, they've abandoned me, they worshiped idols. Hashem was quite critical of what they had done. But he told them, you know, again, we'll listen to them, we'll give them what they want, although it's, uh, it's a betrayal, it's, uh, it's wrong. Hashem and Shmuel were both quite upset. And Shmuel told all this to the people, he tried to discourage them, apparently, the people refused to listen, they said, Hashem told them to warn them what the Melech will do, the Melech will oppress them, and so on, it won't be easy. People said, no, we want a king. And again, they reiterated, we want to be like other nations. We want to be like all the other nations. He shall judge us. He shall, uh, he, he shall go out uh, before us. 
that's what we want, and sure enough, they got a king, they got Shaul HaMelech, and eventually David, and, and, and so on. Now, throughout much of, much of the ancient Jewish history, much of the period of the first temple, parts of the period of the second temple, the Jews indeed were governed by kings. Throughout the, throughout the first temple period, first Shaul HaMelech, then David HaMelech, then Shlomo HaMelech, then the split into the two kingdoms, Malchus Yehuda, Malchus Yisrael, and until the Chorban, until the exile, uh, uh, Babylonian exile, they had kings, dozens of kings. And the second temple, we have the Malchus of the Chashmonaim. So clearly the, the monarchy was, uh, was, was a major part of Jewish history. On the other hand, monarchy was not a uniquely Jewish uh, office. Uh, the other nations, uh, the Jews knew their neighbors, also had kings. In, in Malachim, in the Bayes Rishon, we read about Melech Moab, Melech Mitzrayim, Melech Edom, the 31 kings, Yoshua conquered and killed when he invaded Canaan. So kings were pretty common. So the Jewish people had kings, as they told Shmuel several times, we want to be like the other nations. What is the Torah's attitude? Is it, does the Torah really believe that monarchy, that autocracy is really the ideal form of government? Is that the mitzvah in our parsha that you should appoint specifically a king and not another type of government? Or, 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 or are other types of government acceptable as well? As we'll see, it's not, uh, it's, it's, not, it's not entirely clear. There are those who understand this pasuk, as, as we said, as a simple mitzvah, a mitzvah say to appoint a king. Others say, no, it's not a mitzvah, and other forms of government are, are just as good or better. The Gemara Sanhedrin seems to bring two opinions. The Gemara Sanhedrin brings a bryce of one bryce that says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, the Tanner Rabbi Yossi says, Shalosh mitzvahs in Savu Yisrael, and Laaretz. The Jewish people were commanded in three mitzvahs when they entered Eretz Yisrael. Lahamid Lahem Melech, to appoint a king over them. The other two are to exterminate Amalek and to build the temple. But the first one, the, the Gemara explains, or Yosi says, is to appoint a king. The Rambam passing like this. The Rambam Paskins begins Hilchas Melachim. Shalosh mitzvahs in Savu Yisrael, Bashashnas, and Laaretz. They were commanded in three things. The first of which is Limnas Lahem Melech, Shenemar. The obvious question is, if it's a mitzvah to appoint a king, why were Akash Baruch Hu and Shmuel so upset at the people when they demanded a king? So the Gemara already touches on this question. The Gemara, later in this Gemara in Sanhedrin, the Gemara brings a briser of Eliezer Omer, the elders of the generation asked for the king correctly, in a correct manner. When they said, we want a king to judge us, that was good. However, the Ame Haaretz, the, 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 the lowly folk, Kilkalu, they, they, uh, they asked him properly. Why? Because Canaan wanted Mishpat. They wanted people to, 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 they wanted people to enforce, they wanted the king to enforce, to enforce correct behavior, to punish those who rebelled. That's good. We need enforcement of correct conduct. The Ame Haaretz, they said, we want wars. That, that was the wrong thing to ask for. The, 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 having a king is about doing the right thing. It's not about having wars. Not so clear what the Gemara really means. What, what is the Kilkel? What exactly is the Kilkel? The, the Gemara says, they, they said, we want to be like Kolagayim. Rashi understands that it's because of the wars. Maybe it's because they said Kolagayim. But somehow the, the Gemara is explaining that in principle it, it, it is basically correct to ask for a king. It's a mitzvah. Just the Amiharats were the ones who put who who asked the wrong way. They said they wanted to be Kahalagayim, Bishoftainu, Malkainu, Vyavyatzalafanainu. Some something about that request was was uh, was inappropriate. Rambam deals with this question as well. Rambam says 
in Halacha Beis. After he says it's one of the three mitzvahs, he says, given that appointing a king is a mitzvah, why was HaKadosh Baruch Hu displeased with their request? So the, Ram, the Rambam says, apparently based on the Gemara, but the Rambam says, They asked in a complaining way, not so clear what that means, in a spirit of complaint. They didn't do it like mitzvah, but because Shekatu B'Shemuel Hanavi. Rambam here emphasizes that they, that, that they were they were rejecting the, the leadership of Shmuel. Shmuel was one of the greatest of all figures in Jewish history. They were rejecting that. that that's offensive. Shenemar, that's what Hashem told him. Kilo Kiyosimasu. It was a rejection of Shmuel, rejection of Hashem. That was the Kilkel. So the Gemara, the Rambam, they, 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 they focus on different points of exactly what was wrong. There was something wrong about the way the people asked for the king. According to this approach, asking for a king is good. It's actually a mitzvah. There was something inappropriate about the particular way they asked for the king. The Abarbanel brings us to Frey, goes even further. He says, what was, he says there, are, there are four approaches in, among the early authorities about what was wrong with the people in Shmuel's time. The first one is the Sifrei, he says. The Sifrei says something rather uh, startling. They wanted a king to lead them toward idolatry. We want to be like other nations. The Sifrei had cast the, puts the worst possible cast on Kalagayim. Kalagayim means paganism. We want to be idolaters like the other nations. And when Hashem said, Hashem responded, from I took them out of Mitzrayim until today, they've abandoned me, they worshipped other gods. So that is, uh, that's what they wanted. They wanted idolatry. Then certainly we can understand why, why Hashem was upset, why Shmuel was upset. But the Arbanel says, that's Dachuk. Why would Hashem have given in? If that's what they wanted, he shouldn't have gone along with such a plan. Um, and how come he says, when, when, when Hashem says, well, warn them what the king is going to do, why didn't he mention the Avodah Zarah? It doesn't sound like they really want to do Avodah Zarah, he says. Even when they said, when they said we want to be like the other nations, they didn't mean Avodah Zarah. They meant we want to have some of the styles and societal structures of other nations. They wanted Avodah Zarah. That, that, that's a remarkable, uh, remarkably uh, um, negative way of looking at it. Okay. But, so we have a variety of different shatim. We have the... We have the the Gemara's Lashen, that, that it was, it was Bitaromis, and then because and it doesn't explain why. We have Rashi, who says because of Mohamas. We have the Rambam, who says they were being Mois and Shmuel, and they came, and, and the Rambam says they came with uh, Bitaromis, and, they, and they, didn't, they didn't want to do the mitzvah, they wanted to reject Shmuel. Abarbanel brings several other Pshatim. He says, Chazal and Tosefta said that, that the that the Chazal and the Tosefta say that the Zikanim wanted Mishpat Kechalagayim, but the Ame Haaretz, the Ame Haaretz that wanted, uh, the Ame Haaretz said that they wanted Kechalagayim, they, that, that's what the Ramah means, he says, that the Bitaromis, not L'Shem Mitzvah, but because they didn't want Shmuel. So he brings these other Nakudas that it wasn't about Dezara, but they didn't want Shmuel, they, they wanted to be Kechalagayim. And says the Barbanel, what's the problem? The Torah says, you're going to say, that's what they're going to say. And the Torah implies that's right. If we assume the Torah is describing the, the correct, uh, proper proceeding, they said, the Torah itself says, if the Jews spoke in the same language as the Torah, the Torah said, and that's what they echoed hundreds of years later, why is it their fault? He says, uh, he says that there are two, also, the, 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 we're trying to parse the difference here between the, the, the Gemara, the Sifrei, between, the, between the, two, the two versions of the request. It says that, that initially the, the, the Zikanim said, 
and that was apparently okay. And later it says, It's the same thing. Where, where do you see a difference in the, in the two psukim? The, the psukim are saying exactly the same things. So how, how, how do we tease apart a different tone, a different purpose in the requests of the Amayars from the Zikanim? The psukim don't indicate anything, anything different between them. He goes on, he says, the Ramban has a third shot. The Ramban says the chait was... The chay was that they asked for anything, they asked for this while Shmuel was still alive. Shmuel was a shofet and a navi. To ask for a king while he was still uh, alive was, uh, was, a terrible, uh, was, a terrible, was a terrible insult to, to the leadership of Hashem and his emissaries. Fourth pshat, he says, is the ran, that, uh, that the issue was mishpat. Mishpat really belongs to the shoftim. The king is the executive, not the judiciary. The king is the commander-in-chief. The king leads wars. But, he, but, he, but when, when they say, we want a melech for mishpat, that was wrong. That, that was an error that, that they, you should understand. The king is not in charge of Mishpat. Mishpat should be handled, Mishpat should be handled by the Shoftim, not by, not by the Melech. Says the Barbanel, these Pshatim as well, he doesn't, find, uh, he doesn't find compelling. He says, they're also incorrect. He says that even though they said Mishpat, he says they, they didn't mean the, the Mishpat of the judges. Of course they understood. The Melech is busy, he doesn't have time to do Mishpat, even though we find Shlomo did certain Mishpat, but of course they understood the king isn't going to do the Mishpat. They meant Mishpat HaMalucha, that, uh, that, that the laws of the king, the, 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 the king had, had certain jobs to, to enforce a certain type of order and, uh, and proper conduct. The king does have a certain role in Mishpat, not the regular day-to-day Mishpat of the courts, but he says the king does have a role of Mishpat, and furthermore he says when, when Shmuel reprimanded them, he, he, never, he doesn't emphasize the Mishpat. He keeps saying that you asked for him for Melech, and that's so terrible. He doesn't stress that. He doesn't mention this idea of the Mishpat. He just says, you, you, you did a terrible thing in asking for a Melech, according to the, the Ran, it's Iker Klasim and Asefer. And furthermore, the Barbanel says, all these Pshatim suffer from one common weakness, which is, if it's really a mitzvah to ask for a king, and the people in Shoal's time were only faulted for asking the wrong way, rejecting Shmuel, while Shmuel was still alive, to do Avodah they asked for Mishpat, the basic asking for a king was good, just they asked the wrong way. I don't understand what Abernel says. For hundreds of years, when the, when the Jews entered Eretz Yisrael in the time of Yeshua, after Moshe's death, they were in Eretz Yisrael for, for hundreds of years before the stories, before Shmuel lived. The whole period of the Shoftim. There were centuries that, that, that elapsed in that period. And there were great tzaddikim. Some of them were great tzaddikim. And none of them appointed a melech. None of them said, it's a mitzvah in the Torah. After we enter Eretz Yisrael, we have a mitzvah to appoint a king. How can they let it slide for 300 years? If it's such a mitzvah, if it's really a mitzvah, why did none of the shoftim, some of them, and, and many of them were great tzaddikim, why did none of them do anything about fulfilling this mitzvah? Why did they wait till, till, till Shoal's time? So because of all these questions, because of what he feels are the weaknesses of all these approaches to the story of Shmuel, and because of this uh, overarching question about what happened for the several hundred years that, the, the, that, that the, during the period of the shoftim, that there was no attempt made to appoint the king, Abarbanel has a very different approach to the parish of the Melech. And the truth is, his approach is really found in Chazal as well. If we go back to the Gemara, the Gemara says, after it brings Rabbi Yossi, who says three mitzvahs, one of them is appointing a king, it brings the shita of Rabbi Naharai or Rabbi Nehemiah. He says, Lo nemra parsha zu, this parsha of Melech, was Ela keneged tarumasen. This was written in response, in preemptive response, to the complaints of the people. Shenemar, v'amarta simwalai melech. The way the Torah writes it, it doesn't say... When you go into Eretz Israel, you should appoint a king. It says, You will say, I will appoint a king. The Torah responds, Choose a king who Hashem will approve of. 
So it's, it's very unusual. It doesn't say when you wear a when you wear a garment to four corners and you say I want to wear tzitzis. Well, yes, you should wear tzitzis. That's not your idea to wear tzitzis. Hashem told you wear tzitzis. Hashem told you say kriyashma. Hashem told you to eat matzah and pesach. What is this? Ve'amarta simalai melech. And Hashem says, and you will say I will. I want to appoint a king. Says Rabbi Naharai, Hashem is not telling you to appoint a king. Hashem is saying you will ask for a king. You're going to want a king. That will be your decision, your choice. So Hashem responds. You have Tarumas, you want a king, like he had Tarumas when they asked for it in time of Shmuel. Okay, here are the rules. You want to have a king, so Selm Tasm Lachamelech in accordance with these rules. Shmuel tried to talk them out of it even. But Rebbe says, this is not L'Chathchila, apparently, Ratzin Hashem. This is a response. If you, the people, if you say you want a Melech, so Hashem says, Selm Tasm Lachamelech. Abarbanel develops this into a major doctrine. Abarbanel says there is no mitzvah to appoint a king. He says it, when the Jews ask for a king, the, when the Torah says, you will say, I want a king, the Torah, Hashem knows the future, just as throughout the, the Chumash we find Hashem says, Hashem, the Jewish people, Hashem knows you're going to do Averis, he says. So Hashem knows that the Jewish people would listen to the Yetzirah and would ask for a king. And, 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 the, and he's addressing that eventuality. He's not, saying it, he's not saying it should happen, he's saying it will happen. Uh, a major, a major crucial difference. Hashem knows that it will happen later. He says, Hashem knows that it will happen later, but Hashem does not actually want us to do that. He says, Eim bazem mitzvah Hashem did not say they should ask for it. It's, uh, it's Haggadah Sa'asid. He's, he's foretelling the future. But Hashem is not actually commanding them to appoint a king. And he reiterates this. He says that it's, it's, it's the Yetzir Hara. It was, it was ingratitude. It was Dibur Torah connected to Yetzir Hara. He compares it to the Yifas Torah. The, 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 the Torah says in Kisete, you wage war, you find a Yifas Torah. The Torah gives a mitzvah. You can take her and do this proceeding with her. The Torah is not telling you Chas Shalom is a mitzvah to do that. Torah means Hashem knows that soldiers in war are susceptible to the temptations of war so Hashem gives you rules to, to, to curb and to, and to restrict how, the, how you indulge the Yetzirah same thing with Melech he says the, the, the Torah is giving you a rule the Torah is not telling you you should, you should develop lust for her and you should uh, be with her uh, of course not, he said. The Torah, the Torah means that uh, the Torah concedes, the Torah knows that people have a Yetzirah. And uh, it says, uh, you, once you take her, don't abandon her, you have to treat her, you have, you have, you have, to, you have to convert her, and so on. And, and so on. He says, that's the idea of the Melech, he says, that, that, that if you're going to have ingratitude, you're going to reject Hashem's leadership, you're going to ask for a king. So Hashem gives you rules, he says, that uh, Hashem gives you rules of how you should... Of how you should, uh, of, 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 of how you should, and Hashem, Hashem gives rules of Hashem gives rules of of, of, of how to do it. He says ain't a mitzvah. He says yes, he gives the example I mentioned before. The Torah says you will do this. It's not a mitzvah. It's a terrible avera. The, 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 the Torah is telling you if you do these averis, I, I know you will. Then the mitzvah is do tshuva. Hashem wasn't telling him to do averis to begin with. He was saying if you do averis, then you do tshuva. Hashem was not saying appoint a melech. Hashem, just like Hashem said, if you fall and do terrible averis, then do tshuva. If you ask for a king because of the Yetzirah, then I want you to do it in accordance with my wishes. It should be, it should be in line with the choice of Hashem. It should be a Jewish person, not an Ishnachri. 
and he brings numerous proofs and arguments to this, including the, the statement of Rabbi Naharai and then the Bryser, Rabbi Nehemiah, he calls it. He says that the... He says, this is Rabbi Nehemiah Shita. He goes even further. He says that that is even, that is even, he even, he even says that that is the Shita of, uh, that is even the Shita of, of that, that's even the Shita of Rabbi Yossi. He says, when he says, Gil Mitzvah and Slav Yisrael, there are three mitzvahs, which Kipshuto means it's a real mitzvah. He says, when, when, when the Gemara brought the Pasuk, it said the Pasuk is, it says, they didn't bring the first Pasuk of Amar Tosim Melech. That's a mitzvah. You should say, I want a melech. That's not a mitzvah. That's, that's your choice. The second pasuk, some tussim, that's the mitzvah. The mitzvah is once you say you want a king, the mitzvah is to handle it in the right way. There's no mitzvah to ask for a king. There's no mitzvah to decide you want a king. Even Rabbi Yossi holds this way. He says, certainly, certainly Rabbi Nehemiah, Rabbi Nehemiah. And that's the shita of Abarbanel, that appointing the king is not a mitzvah. It is discretionary, and it's a bad choice. It comes from the Yetzirah. It comes from a lack of gratitude to Akash Baruch Hu. But if you do it, if you want a king, this is how. The question obviously is, if Hashem doesn't think it's a good idea, why didn't he just say no? If you want a king, the answer is no, you can't have a king. Okay, so the Torah sometimes makes concessions, as with Yifas Torah, to human nature. But, it, but it's not something Hashem actually wants. And then the Barbanel has a couple of truly fascinating discussions of the monarchy. Uh, well, first of all, prior to this, when he explains why he doesn't think having a king is a mitzvah, he says, let's discuss whether having a king is really essential, whether having a king is necessary for the successful governing of a country. He said, there are those who say that it is. He says, there are, he said, there are apparently those, the philosophers, he says, think that a king is a necessity. He says, however, he disagrees. He says, first of all, what do we mean when we say king? What is a king, and how is he different from another form of government? Today we use words like monarchy. We use autocracy and monarchy. We were, we, we were recently on vacation, so we dropped into a used bookstore, and we picked up, uh, picked up a big, fat, old, old, old-fashioned hardcover dictionary for Simcha for a buck. So Simcha spent the car ride uh, reading the dictionary and, and telling us about the 52 definitions of give and the 38 definitions of freeze and so on. So we said, when I was preparing the share, we said, Simcha, we were talking about the monarchy, we said, Simcha, look, look up the difference between autocracy and monarchy. So they largely overlap. Autocracy means rule, rule that's concentrated in one person, which is pretty much, pretty much a monarch as well. Monarchy sometimes uh, has the implication of hereditary monarch. But Barbanel says, autocracy, monarchy, what, what, what are their distinguishing factors? What, 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 how are they different from other forms of government? Barbanel points out, Barbanel is always, of course, at his most fascinating and most interesting when he's discussing politics and governance and uh, issues like that. And this is no exception. He says... A monarchy has three salient features. He says, first of all, unity. Monarchy is power concentrated in a single individual, as opposed to other forms of government, we'll discuss soon, where power is shared between multiple leaders. Second, he says, is hasmada vehedra achilof. A monarch is permanent. He doesn't have a limited term. Once he, once he ascends to the throne, it's his until he dies or abdicates, but it, the, the, the power is his in perpetuity. He's not replaced by anyone else. And the third, he says, is absolute power. Absolute power. He's not, he's not restricted by laws or by, by, by anything else. He does whatever he wants. And uh, that's monarchy. He's, uh, he's, power is concentrated in one person. That one person has power indefinitely, permanently. And that one person is governed by laws. Says the Barbanel, 
that do you really think that uh, that a ruler has to have those three qualities to be a successful ruler? Not true, he says. There are there's a perfectly valid system of government that does not have these three powers. You can have you can have multiple leaders who have to reach consensus and, uh, and not power contrary to one person. You can have uh, a rotation where they have fixed terms of a year or three terms or, 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 or less, he says, and then, and, then, and then they rotate out and new ones come in. And uh, furthermore, he says, why, do you, why, he says, why does he have to be above the law? We very much believe today the king should not be, the leader should not be above the law, he says. Why can't he be bound by a constitution and, uh, and, and by rules? And, and so on, he says. And it's better to have multiple people because uh, the chance of things going wrong are less. One person might, uh, might become rotten, but a bunch of people, we say, you know, the rabbin will, will correct him, he says. Yosir Karav Lios Apeshabad Mechad. And so on, he says. And he says, who, he says, who needs analysis, he says. He says, uh, Aristotle tells us that empiricism is superior to reason, that uh, the observation, what we see in the real world, is superior to what... Uh, Rational thought tells us, he says, look, he says, we have, we, have, we, have, we have countries governed by kings, and we have countries that are governed by there are republics, he says. Republics are much better. He says that they're, they're, that they're great, they're wonderful, he says. First, he gives the example of ancient Rome. He says, ancient Rome used to be a republic, the Roman Republic, and that's when it had a period of remarkable success. It flourished and it expanded. And then he says it was governed by the consuls, he says. Then it turned into uh, the Roman Empire. It was governed by the Caesars, by the Caesars. And it degenerated, he says. It, uh, Rome fell apart. The study of the rise and fall of the Roman Empire has been a great, uh, great, great topic for European historians for the last few centuries. I, I'm not really that familiar with, with the history. Rome eventually did fall apart. Whether you can really trace that back to the beginning of empire or not, is a subject, uh, is, is, a, is a question I'm not really familiar with, but Abarbanel seems to assume that the, 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 the seeds of the, of the degeneration of the Roman Empire were in it becoming a Roman Empire, that uh, as a republic it was much more successful. And he says, who needs a king? Who needs an emperor? A republic is great. He says, and furthermore, he says, we have the republics of his time, he says, and he proceeds to list them. In case you're wondering who were the democracies or republics of his time, he rattles them off. He says, V'od hayom, Malchus Venetia, the Venetian Republic, Hagveras, Rabasi Bagayim, Sirasi Bamadinos, the powerful and uh, mighty nation, Malchus Florencia, Republic of Florence, Tzvihu Lachal Haratzos, it's an ideal and a much admired uh, country among all other countries. This was before Italian unification where the Italian city-states were their own government and they were world powers. Malchus Genoa, Tehila V'takifa, the feared and mighty Republic of Genoa, Luca, Republic of Luca. Haven't really heard of that one, but it was another republic from that time. Siena, Republic of Siena, Polonia, Malchias Acheros, Ein Melechbehem. These nations do not have kings. He says they have. They were republics. They had. A, they had appointed or elected some kind of position where some kind of democratic or quasi-democratic government, representative government. They have fixed terms. They have Yomim Ktuvim, Liyomim Ktuvim. And he says, it's a great system. They have three months at a time, some of these places, he says. And, uh, and these are Malchias Hayesharos. These are the, the noble and upright, uh, the upright Malchias. Ein behem niftal v'ikesh. They're just and they're, they're equitable. And uh, nobody does anything wrong. Vla yaram ishes yadov, es ragel, al pesha. 
that's, I think, a bit of an exaggeration. There was certainly plenty of, uh, I think, crime and corruption in these, in these uh, republics, but he, he had great admiration for them, he says. And they're very successful. They conquer other lands. All of the shows, he says, having a monarch is not essential. And it's actually very, very deleterious, he says. It's mazik ma'od. And it's very dangerous, he says, to the nation, to his subjects, he says. Giving him absolute power. To do whatever he wants. It's actually a very dangerous system to give that much power. So here, the Barbanel sounds like some kind of Democrat, some kind of enlightened, progressive figure. He's, he's bashing kings, and he's, and he's uh, very excited about uh, democracy and republics, he says. However, in the, Bar- in the conclusion of the Barbanel's discussion, he actually takes an incredibly reactionary position. At the very end of his discussion, he says, let's talk about if the king is a tyrant. His last question, he says, if the king is a tyrant, if the melech is ra ublial, we have to consider, he says, the question, is it appropriate to rebel against him and to depose him, like the, since he's a terrible person, he's an enemy and a despiser of, of Hashem, he says, he, he says, he says, he is, I'm not sure exactly what he means, he's writing somewhat poetically, I'm not sure exactly how to translate that, but since he's uh, a vile person, he says he didn't see any discussion of this in, he has not seen any discussion of this question in earlier Jewish sources. I haven't either, but uh, okay, he tells us he hasn't either. He says, a remarkable passage, he says, the non-Jewish scholars uh, analyze this question, and they said, they were apparently uh, progressive uh, proto-enlightenment thinkers, they said, it is appropriate. It's appropriate to rebel against, how they got away with this in the courts of Spain or Portugal and the 15th century, the turn of the 16th century, I have no idea, but he says that the non-Jews, the non-Jewish sages, they held that it is appropriate for the king to depose, for the people to depose the king if he becomes a tyrant. Vanidi Barti says, I, the Barbanel, I defended, I argued the reactionary position, I spoke with Nehmalachim and Chachamem, I spoke before kings and their sages, and Vahokhachti, I proved, he says, Vahokhachti, it's inappropriate, and that people have no right, no ability to rebel against the king and to depose him. Even Afshi or Shia will call Varpesha, no matter how great a tyrant and a villain he is, they have no right to depose him and rebel. And I made three arguments uh, for that case, he says. The first two apply even to non-Jews, the third specifically to Jews. He says the first one is the Rabbinel's colleagues, as with John Locke and Thomas Jefferson and the founders of our, of our government, why do they think they have the right to rebel? This was based on you know, the, the famous uh, Lockean theory of the social contract that uh, ultimately power, is, is power rests with the people, popular sovereignty, that power is delegated to the government from the people, the social contract, and the people can withdraw. The, the, the king has no independent right to power. It's a contract. Uh, Barbanel says, even if we agree that the power to the, uh, of the king comes, the, the legitimacy comes from the people, he says, nevertheless, the bris and the shvua that they made with him their, contra- their solemn covenant with him to grant him the kingdom is it is unconditional, it is absolute, there's no remedy for breach, there's no uh, escape clause there. Therefore, once they granted him power, they cannot withdraw it. 
I don't see why that's such a compelling argument. I mean, he says it. That's what he says. But I don't know. I don't really understand why he thinks that it's such an absolute. Uh, that he says the fact that they, the fact is Allah Malchus. He says that if you that, that if you rebel against the king, you're Misa. The fact you have to show him tremendous covered. Yeah, as long as he's the king, as long as he's legitimate, as long as the, the people buy the, as on the whole. Uh, the people on the whole accept him, then every individual has to show him respect and can't rebel. If the people in general decide to rebel, we also have a crime of treason. And there is such a thing as treason. Yet, if the, that's when an individual betrays the government and betrays the, betrays the country. But if the country as a whole decides to uh, overthrow the government, that we feel is legitimate. So I don't really understand his first argument as, as being that compelling. His second argument is sort of a divine right of king argument, not just for Jews, even for non-Jews. He says... This is, a, this is an old idea. He says the, the Melech in this world is analogous to a Baruch Hu in the world. That just like a Baruch Hu commands our absolute respect and we, we have no right to challenge and to uh, rebel against a Baruch Hu, he says that's why the king is a Yachid Malchuso, even though he just said it. Yachid Malchuso is not such a good idea, he just said, but that, that's why the king is Yachid, like a Baruch Hu. That's why you make the bracha, he says, on Malchi Yumas HaOlam, on Malchi Yisrael, you say, Shechalak Mikvodo, Shenasan, so he says the fact that they called him Mikvodo, they're agreeing that the kings have an element of a Kodesh Baruch who's covered. Therefore, nobody can raise a hand against the king. It's like raising a hand against a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Good, okay, that's what he says. Again, I don't see this, this is such a compelling argument. He says that we should treat the... He says we should treat the... We should treat the king like a Kosh Baruch Hu. I mean, maybe yes, maybe not. A Kosh Baruch Hu is a tzaddik, not a Russia. If the king is a Russia, maybe he doesn't deserve to be treated like Hashem. Okay, that's his second argument. His third argument is specific to Jews, he says, Miyuchedes Li Yisrael, that since we're not the ones who appoint the king, he says, we are not the ones who depose the king. He says, who chooses the king? Not the people, he says, Hashem. Goes back to our Pasuk, Som Tasmalach HaMelech HaShayivcha Hashem HaLokechabo, Choose someone, appoint someone, Asher Yivchar Hashem whom Hashem will choose. What does that mean, whom Hashem will choose? He says, uh, Hashem appoints kings. Shmuel Hanavi said that, uh, that um, Shmuel says that, that the king will be a Russia, he'll oppress you, you'll cry out to Hashem, Hashem won't answer you because you chose him. He says, he says, Hashem won't answer you. The, 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 the Shmuel was saying that you don't have the right to rebel. He didn't say your remedy will be to rebel. Shmuel said, you'll be stuck. Why? Because it says Hashem will choose him, and therefore you, you can't be the ones to uh, you can't be the ones to depose him. The only thing you can do is pray to Hashem and hope that Hashem uh, causes him to to uh, to pass and, and be replaced. But you have no right to depose him because you're not the one to appoint him. This third point is actually also very debatable. The Arbarbanel is assuming that the king is chosen by Hashem. After all, that's what the pasuk says. Language of the pasuk is it says. Hashem, your God, will choose. Abba seems to assume that that means that Hashem will choose via, via Nevoah. And that is indeed how many of our Chacham understand the Pasuk. The Sifrei, Midrash of the Sifrei says, Chazal say, Hashem will choose him via a Navi. Ibn Ezra says, Ibn Ezra is not always the most traditional of all commentaries, but here he agrees with Chazal. He says, what does it mean, Asher Yivcha Hashem Olokechabo, Alpi Navi, like the Sifrei, Omish Bada Urim, by the Urim Batumim, Vatam, Lo Asher Tivcharata, you don't choose, like the Barbanel says, Hashem chooses. That's why the Barbanel says, you can't depose him either, it wasn't your choice, therefore it's not your decision to depose him, for Jews at least. Ralbag says, Alpi Navi, 
like Shaul, was chosen by Shmuel. However, the Ralbag also says that Minu HaMelech is by Basin HaGadol. Basin also has some involvement in the choosing. The, the Radvaz on the Rambam says that, that who is a Melech, who has the status of Melech regarding Marib Malchus, the, the someone who rebels against him is Chayav Nisa. Either if he was appointed by a Navi, he was coronated by a crown by a Navi, or Sheskim will have called Yisrael. So the Radvaz also says that it, Radvaz says it's or. Either Hashem by a Navi, or Kal Yisrael. The Sifrei, or the Ibn Ezra say, no, Alpinavi, Ashayyiv Hashem Olakacha. Not who you choose, but this, the Radvaz says either the Navi chooses him or Yisrael chooses him, as opposed to what? As opposed to an individual who just, uh, who just seizes power for himself. He was neither chosen by Hashem nor by the people. That person is just a dictator. That person has no, has no status of king. So we find a number of different formulations. The Sifrei and the, and the Benazra say that uh, and the Navi and Navi or, Navi or Mbetumim Radvaz says Navi or the people, the Navi or the people. The Ralbag says Navi, but then says you should have based on a Godel also. And the truth is, the Ramban, the Ramban also rejects the idea that, that should, the Ramban is a, in a remarkable uh, divergence from Chazal. The, the, the Ramban insists that Al Derech Hapshat, the, the, the king is not chosen by Hashem, he is chosen by the people. The, the Ramban says, What does it mean, Hashem Hashem Olakachabo? Al-Dasim Afarshim, according to the Ben Ezra, means Navi Yorim Betumim. And that, the phrase says that Asher uh, Yivchar Hashem Elokecha means Alpi Navi. So then, but then the Ramban says, what does it mean? Hashem tells you, don't put a foreigner over you. You're not the one choosing. Hashem is choosing. The Navi, the Orim Betumim is choosing. So why does Hashem have to give you mitzvahs? Don't take a foreigner. You're not choosing at all. So what, what, what's the whole idea here? So the Ramban deals with that question. I don't fully understand what he says. But then he says, Al-Derech HaPshat, what he calls Pshat of the Pasuk is that you choose, not the Navi. Means you, should, you choose, but you should choose someone who will be Hashem's choice, who Hashem will find favor with him, not someone who Hashem will hate. Meaning, choose some, what does that mean? He chose Yisrael, and he wants the, the king to be one of his subjects, one of Yisrael, and not be not someone who Hashem hates. So, Choose someone, Asher Yivchar, Hashem chose us to be his nation, Hashem chose us uh, as his people, so, so choose a Melech, who should the Melech be chosen from, Asher Yivchar, Hashem Olokecha, from the Amman Nivchar, from the, the choice of Hashem, and not from the, the other nations of the world whom Hashem hates. So according to this Pshat, no mention of Navi at all, Asher, Asher Yivchar, Hashem Olokecha just means, choose, it's another way of saying Mikarav Achecha, it's just a different formulation of the idea of Mikarav Achecha and not choosing the Nachri, choose it from Hashem, choose it from Asher Yivchar, Hashem Olokecha, choose a Jewish person. Then he says another, another version of Derech HaPshat, Vedati B'Derech HaPshat, that uh, Hashem runs the world, so whomever you pick, Kol Molech El Amim, is ultimately, we will assume, is Mei Selokimhu, that Daniel said, that Hashem sets up kings, and the Gemara says that whoever is chosen, whoever winds up in a position of authority, is, is, we assume it's Menashe Mayim. The Pasuk means, and whoever you pick, that will be, that will turn out to have been the person who Hashem was Gozer should rule, even if he's someone who doesn't come from the most prestigious Shevet. But don't choose an Ishnachri. So, but it doesn't mean, but according to the Ramban, he has these various Pshatim, he agrees that Chazal of say differently, but he says these various Pshatim mean that you should choose Choose someone of which Hashem will approve. Choose someone which will ultimately be in accordance with Hashem's plan, but not that there's any requirement to have a Navi or a Vatum.
even according to the Sifrei and the Benezra, that he's supposed to do Navi and Urban Batumim, what are you supposed to do when there's no Navi and Urban Batumim? Throughout the second base of Mikdash, there was no Navi and Urban Batumim. What were they supposed to do then? So, there's no mitzvah to have a king then? Or even they agree that sometimes you can have a king appointed by the people. I'll call upon him of Arbanel's third reason why, specifically with regard to Jews, why you can't rebel because the, the king is chosen by, by Hashem, by the Navi. Not everyone agrees. The Ramban does not agree that's John the Pasuk, and even according to the Sifrei and Ibn Ezra, but it's not entirely clear that that was true in all times, that what about when there's no Navi? And we mentioned the Radvaz, who says that, when, that sometimes Navi, and so, that there are two methods for choosing a king. Sometimes uh, chosen by Hashem, and sometimes chosen by the people. So again, if it was chosen by the people, it makes a lot of sense that the people would have the right to depose him. And the truth is, my, my brother-in-law, Rabbi Natal Wiederblank, showed me this once, uh, the Karanora seems to disagree with Avar Bernal. Avar Bernal says he hasn't seen any Chachamim before him who discuss this question, neither have I since then, and very few discuss it subsequent to him, but one of those who does discuss it subsequent to him is the Karanara. Karanara and Akron, a couple hundred, few hundred years later, I, I, I always delight in how some of the most uh, profound and, and consequential questions in Torah arise in the, in the course of the most technical and kind of down-to-earth and uh, dry halachic context. The, the Karanara is discussing the question of what carbon a person brings when he does a chet. So you bring a carbon chatas. The Torah in Parshas Vayikra and elsewhere prescribes different types of chatos. Well, one type for regular bearers, one type for Abadazara, and also Ordinary people, civilians, bring one type of chattas, kispor seira. Basin brings parhelm davershel tzibur. When Basin issues a hara for the tzibur, the kohen gadol brings a specific type of carbon, and the melech, asher nasi yachta, the melech brings a certain type of carbon. So the, so the, 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 the is discussing. He says, so what gives someone the status of a king for this purpose of bringing a special chattas? What gives someone the status of a king? So he says, it's hadaver tali ba'am popular sovereignty. The king's authority derives from the people. Following the Ramban, following the Radvaz, that, the, that the, the king can or generally is appointed by the people. Anyone whom they accept as the king, then we'll have to listen to him. He has the status of the king. And, and, he, and, and that's the person who brings this carbon. And furthermore, he says, not like the Barbernel, doesn't bring the Barbernel, but he says, They can depose him. And he brings the Yushalmi to this effect. Yushalmi is discussing the carbon, and the Yushalmi says, David Melech, during the period of his life that he was fleeing from Avshalom, at that point, most of Klal Yisrael sided with Avshalom. David uh, lost the support of most of Klal Yisrael. He eventually regained it. But there was a period in his life, even though he had previously been ex- ex- widely accepted as the Melech, that the people switched their allegiance to Avshalom. So the, the Yushalmi says that in that period of David's career in life, when he was on the run from Avshalom, and the people sided with Avshalom, had David done a chait, what carbon would he bring? He, brought the, he would bring the carbon of a hediot, of a civilian. Not only can people rebel if they appoint the king, even if the king is appointed by a navi, like, as in the case of David, Shmuel appointed him, Hashem said, go appoint Ben Yishai, and he told him eventually it was David. Nevertheless, the Karanara says, despite the fact he was appointed by a Navi, the people have the right to depose him. The, the, generally speaking, the power to appoint kings does rest with the people, and yes, they can depose him. And that's Pasha de Christ. Not only is that the Yushalmi, that's simple Pashan the Pasuk. So the Sifrei points out when it says, that means God. The Karanara looks at the other half of the Pasuk. 
you shall appoint him. Like the Ramban says, if, if, if Shem is giving instructions to us, that means it's our choice. That appointment of a king is, is dependent on the people. So, 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 so contrary to the Varbanel, he says that the people do have the right to depose the, depose the king. A couple of uh, final thoughts on the question of the Torahs. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's more to say, but a couple of final thoughts on, this, on the subject of the Torah's attitude toward kings as opposed to uh, democratic and republican government. So as the Abarbanel noted, there's a bracha that you say, the Gemara says you say a bracha when you see a king. Asher chalak mikvodo, asher nasen mikvodo, vadam, We acknowledge that kings are, kings have a special status and we make a special bracha when we see kings. Contemporary poskim in the age of democracy have debated whether we make these brachos on contemporary sovereigns, contemporary heads of state. They actually discussed both halves of the question. They, they discussed, do you make the bracha on prime ministers and presidents who have the power, the power and authority that kings once had, but they're not actually kings? And they discussed the reverse question as well. Do you make a bracha on contemporary kings like the Queen of England or, uh, and so on, who have the formal title of king and some of the pomp and circumstance of kings and queens of old, but none of the power? So the first question, do you make the bracha on contemporary heads of state who do have power, it's a big machlux of postkim. Many postkim say no. They, they, they give a variety of criteria that a head of state has to possess to be called a king. Some of them say he has to have the power of life and death. They discuss whether the pardon power is enough, the power to wage war. They give various other criteria. That, that Some of them say the fact that he has limited terms. As Abarbanel noted, one of the, one of the classic aspects of a, of a king was that he had unlimited terms. Modern heads of state have limited terms generally in, in, in democratic countries. The fact that the position is not hereditary, the fact that uh, there are three branches of government, and he, as, as we saw all this in Abar Bernal, that he shares power and so on. So all these arguments are raised by various postkim against uh, many postkim, therefore said you should not make a bracha on a president, even though he's the most powerful person in the history of the world by, by, by some measures. You don't make a bracha on him. There was a, uh, when, Pu- when Putin visited Israel a few years ago, so Shlomo Aviner was asked whether he make a bracha on him, and he said no for these various reasons. And the, and the, the quote, the headline quote, was something like "Harav Aviner Omer." With all due respect, Putin, you are not a king. Maybe he acts like a king sometimes, uh, but like a tyrant, but he's not actually a king. So, Rabbi Eliezer Malamed and Rav Asher Weiss both discuss this question of whether you make a bracha on contemporary heads of state. Rabbi Eliezer Malamed says that. Society has evolved. Today we no longer uh, want kings, and even the, the nations who have kings, it's just a position of, uh, just, it's just a position of uh, formality and respect, not actual power. The question is, do you make the bracha on, on, the prime, on the prime minister or the president? He says, he says, no, you cannot make the bracha on them. He says, because popular sovereignty, the power really lies with the people, and the, the head of state is their servant. He's not, uh, he's not the, the master of everyone. He's the servant. He's a public servant, we call him. You don't make a bracha on him, even if he has the pardon power, he says. He, he does it with consultation with, with offices and lawyers and so on. And he says that the... And he says that... It's interesting, he says. He says, it, he says it's interesting that in backward countries, Aratzot and Nechashalot, he says, Dafka, in those countries, there are still some leaders who have real power, who have autocratic power. Then he, then he says you can make the brachan, he says. But we hope that these kings will, be, will soon be uh, replaced by better governments, and then we'll have Mashiach, he says, who will lead the whole world, but Tzadik of Mishpat. 
So, so Rebbe Lezer Malamid says that the that the modern heads of state are not kings. He explains in one of his discussions, he says, that was the whole point of the democratic revolutions. They decided we don't want kings. He says, so to say they have a din of a king, the whole point of the world, world, society, world opinion has evolved and come to the conclusion that, that, that we no longer want kings, he says. So to say that we still treat them as kings is, is connected the, the whole trend of history, he says. So on modern democratic sovereigns, you do not make the bracha. He seems to concede that on, on more uh, retrograde countries, who still have uh, autocrats and tyrants, you would make a bracha, but uh, it's ironic, he says, but not on civilized countries. Rav Asher Weiss also says, discusses this question, brings the poskim, he also says that, that you would not make the bracha on, on heads of state of civilized countries, of democratic countries, he says, but and he starts by taking Rabbi Muhammad's position, that dafka on the malachim achzariim, the cruel, tyrannical kings of the Medinas, hanachashalot, vanachshalot, on the backward, primitive countries, those are the ones you would make the bracha on. However, he says, it's clear to him, not like that he says, not like Rabbi Malam, not like his initial position, you cannot make the bracha on those tyrants either, he says. Why? Because the bracha, he says, is supposed to be on kings whose mishpat is betzedek uviyosher, who have, uh, who rule justly and with yosher, not on those who, who rule arbitrarily, whatever, do whatever they want, without din, without tzedek, you can't make a bracha of nasim bekvod, Hashem's covered, they, they share Hashem's covered, you're comparing Hashem to them, he says, he says, in the eyes of the family of nations, in the eyes of the family of enlightened nations, that's not kavod, that's g'nai yabizayin gadol. How can he say chalak mikvodo to someone who's a tyrant? It's busha and bizayin. So Pashat, he says, in his opinion, you don't make this bracha at all. Not, he says, on, uh, not, he says, on the kings of places like England, because they have no real power. They have no authority. They just have empty, meaningless covered, he says. So on them you don't make the bracha because they're not really, they have no real power. They're empty uh, shells of just, uh, of empty covered. On the heads of states of democratic countries, or elected, uh, elected leaders, he says, they don't have, they're not real malchus. They're, they're chosen for limited times and they don't have absolute power. And on the tyrants, he says, on the shalitim achzarim, varitim, bevadein levarich, because it's not covered, it's bushem bizayim. Ravasha's position, as always, is uh, appealing and is uh, tempting. I don't really understand what he's saying. Is he denying that in the time of the, uh, of the Nebuchadnezzar's time, would you have made the bracha on him? He was certainly a Russian, a tyrant. Back in those days, Mishpachas Ha'amim wasn't so enlightened, and they thought that was normal. So, does it, did the halacha change based on world opinion? Do we say now that world opinion frowns on that, you don't make the bracha, but the same king, the czar, 100 years ago, the, 100 years ago, you wouldn't make the bracha on the czar because uh, back then it was seen as the per- divine right of kings, the prerogative of the king to be a tyrant? Or does he mean even that time, that time you wouldn't make a bracha on such kings? You only make a bracha on kings who are wise and enlightened and, uh, and just. So I'm not sure I fully understand his position. But anyway, they, they both agree, as do many, many, but not all other postkim, that you don't make the bracha on ordinary heads of state, democratic ones, because they're limited, they're, they're, they're servants of the public, they share power, they have limited terms, and so on. And when it comes to, and they also, and, and, and Rav Asher also says you don't make the bracha on crowned heads because they have no real power and their, their honor is really empty. When it comes to tyrants, when it comes to despots in, the, in backward countries, Rabbi Malamed seems to concede you would make the bracha on them. Rav Asher Weiss says you don't because that's, uh, that's a bush and a bizayah and that's not covered. That's something that world opinion has moved on from and therefore you would not make the bracha on such leaders.